Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Matters Educational Podcast. For this episode, I spoke to Andy Guider, who is a teacher in North Dublin. Andy spoke to me about his time spent training as a teacher in England, and he spoke a bit about his experiences working in a DESH school as a homeschool community liaison. Andy and I discussed how teachers can be better supported professionally, as well as Andy's priorities for his next year as a teacher. Hi Andy, how are you? I'm not bad. Thanks very much for asking, Dara. You don't get asked that question very often. <laughs> uh, nice weekend. Good, good, good. Good to see the sun shining today. For a change. For a change and a bit of heat off it too. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on to the podcast. You're welcome. Um, so I'll start off with the question I'd like to start off with everyone. Uh, why did you decide to become a teacher? Right. Well, I always knew I wanted to work with people. And for years, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I'd done a lot of youth work, church groups, uh, youth clubs. And after the Leaving Cert, which wasn't the best, I went on to doing some PLC courses. And I did health and community studies. I went on to do uh, social care. And I went, and through those courses, I did work experience. Um, one of them was in a special school, special primary school. Uh, another was in a mainstream primary school, educate together, and and then I just and then I decided to try the complete opposite end of the scale, and I worked in a nursing home um, on work experience. So I realised at the end of that that it was definitely children that I wanted to work with. I worked in pay jobs, pubs, ticket selling, call centres. So you know I would kind of a vast range of experience, paid and otherwise. Um, I didn't have the level of Irish, so I decided to go over to England and they asked me the same question at the interview and it was to give basically children opportunity in life. Um, I suppose I didn't go straight into it like some teachers, I didn't become institutionalised looking back on it. I um, was open to learning new things myself, I wanted um, to apply the skills that I'd learnt um, and I suppose maybe see if there was a way to uh, help teach those kids differently to the way I did because apparently my parents said that I hated school so it, they, they were surprised that I wanted to do it <laughs> you know so that that's kind of a variety of reasons it was probably more actually at the time what made you uh, choose primary over secondary? Ah, now, at the time, and I suppose maybe a little bit different, and I know you want to talk about homeschool later, um, was I think that anybody, and I commend them, who does secondary teacher teaching, but you must have a death wish. <laughs> um, but uh, I just thought working with teenagers was going to be very difficult because I had worked with uh, a broad range of ages doing youth work and stuff. Um, and I just felt that you know you might be able to build a better rapport it wouldn't be the same attitude they'd be more interested in learning and sure if you remember back to when you were a teenager you know and yeah you, you, you studied you didn't study you liked you disliked you gave some teachers hassle other teachers you liked you respected and you sat and you listened to and you learned from you know so what sometimes it's about looking at yourself and looking at your past for your future decisions <laughs> 
So tell me a bit about your teacher training experience in general. You said you went over to England, so what was that like? So I went to Birmingham, I went to a small college, higher education college called Newman. It's now a university. Some of you may have heard of it, there were a lot of Irish there. And it was a three-year B.Ed. that I did. Um, I had the opportunity to go on and do four years, but I'd gone over as a mature student and I decided three years was fine, I'd get a job. Um, each year was, so it was a Bachelor's of Education degree with um, Theology and RE, Qualified Teaching Status. It was conferred at the time, it was going to be conferred at the time by Coventry University, but they didn't have an education department. But when I finished, it was conferred by Nottingham. Uh, sorry, no, De Montfort and Leicester, um, who had an education department who also did teacher training. Uh, Newman was small. Um, you were in small classes of maybe no more than 24, 25. Uh, you didn't have this whole thing of uh, lectures in halls and the tutorials. You didn't have to make appointments to see your teacher. They were in their offices. Sometimes you might have to make appointments. Um, you had a teaching practice each year. Um, you usually had about 10 day, ten individual days over 10 separate weeks of observation before your block, which was the way to get to know the class, get to know the structure, get to know the teacher, get to know the styles, get to know the resources, um, and get your and start to get your um, lesson planning prepared. I lived in halls of residence for the three years, so there was kind of a family element to those of us who were there. Some were teacher training, some were doing a single and honor degrees. Uh, and some may have got and some went on and did the postgrad in education some didn't um the the modules ranged from your core subjects english math science to then your other subjects geography history um etc and then some the theology and re module um what else do you want to know about that? Um, I suppose what was the most difficult part or what were the most difficult parts of the course, if you can recall? I suppose the most difficult parts were, and it did get easier and it always gets easier the more practice you have, practice makes perfect, was the teaching practice because I remember the first one that I had and it was in a very eccentric school, very well organised school, very colourful, very high marks, um, was preparing for the first uh, lesson and uh, I had a um, what they called a partnership tutor so I went along to him because uh, he wanted to see my first lesson before I went into the classroom to teach it and the amount of detail that was required when you're on teaching practice for lessons over there in England was astronomical my first ever lesson plan was five pages long five A4 sheets for one lesson for one lesson that would include the name of the school at the top the length of the lesson the, cl the class group the risk assessment the resource section the um, the starter the introduction the plenary the differentiation of groups um, etc 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 and the detail of exactly what you were going to be doing uh, during practically each part of that lesson and I remember standing up there in front of them and uh, writing away on the board and some t a lot of, because I was working from a piece of paper and my back was to the kids sometimes and then I just dropped the piece of paper on the floor and the sweat poured out of me and I just felt like walking out of that room. I just felt it was the worst lesson I'd ever done. And we all have had our good and bad lessons. Um, but I remember 
before even starting the lesson, before even starting my block, my partnership tutor, looking at the lesson and saying, I wouldn't use that resource. I wouldn't use that resource. I don't think this is a very good lesson. But if that's what the school wants you to do, and my responses to that pretty much was, well, I have to do what the school wants me to do. I don't have a choice. And that's the way the system is over there. You follow what the school plan and you fit into their, their way, regardless of anybody else's opinion. And sometimes they give their opinion as well. So I was going to ask you about a, a teaching practice horror story, but will we call that your teaching practice horror story? Well, I suppose that was the the lesson, but I remember in my sec, but I didn't actually pass my teaching practice in that school. I ended up having to do another a repeat at the end of the first year, which was fine, and I passed that. That was grand. Went on to second year, and I was in an infant school, and it was going grand, but the class teacher wasn't there because she was out sick for a lot. So I was always seeing the sub who was in, who was a regular sub, who was an ex-teacher. And then when it came to my block period, um, my mentor, who was the, you, the mentor was usually the deputy in the school, the deputy head, and came to me asking for my planning before my block started. And I said, I don't have any because I have had no teacher to talk to. I don't know what's happening because when I come in, I'm just talking to a, a sub and you teach. So it was a real rush job to get my block planning done and um, then that, that block didn't quite go to plan because then I got accused of being too familiar with the SNA. Well, that wasn't also, well, or as they call them, classroom assistants. That wasn't true because they're surprising, as some of you may realize, there are some gay teachers in the Irish education system, even in England, you know. So I wasn't familiar with her. She told me stories about her personal life when we were in a room together and we talked, but it wasn't hugs and kisses and, you know, crying and tissues, but... You had a rapport. You had a, I had a rapport with a person who I was going to be working with on block because I didn't have a class teacher to work with because I barely met the woman because hmm. she had her personal issues. So I ended up having take, been taken out of that school and put into another one which absolutely loved, got on like a house on fire with the staff. The staff got on well with me, got on well with the kids. I had year one, which would, have, which would be the equivalent to, uh, I think... How old were the children in year one? Uh, they are a year behind us here. So when our kids finish at six, they f uh, or sixth at class here, their year... Oh, sugar, I'm getting it the wrong way around. They were, their year ones are four-year-olds. So junior infants. So it would have been kind of, I junior, see. Yeah. kind of more, yeah, around the Montessori junior infants age, because mm -hmm. they're a year behind us. So they roughly start at four into year one. Uh, Is it eight years? They do, they do. So year eight? No, they do, no. they do. They do five. No, they do. No, what do they do? They do seven years in primary. We do eight years in primary. Okay. Right. So when it would have been junior infant, when it was there, it was junior infants. So no, it was our senior infants, I think. Okay. I think that's what I had. Um, 
But I remember the head of the partnership office, because as I said before, partnership tutors, person who is from the college that links with you and the school that you're on placement, the head of the partnership office was covering for other people because there was sicknesses. She came in, she was a PE specialist as well. She happened to come in on the day that I was teaching PE. She criticized me over the PE. She also criticized the school over their PE policy. And, this, and, she, and she wasn't happy with how I had done it. But on the day, I could have taken it off and gone home and I decided not to come in because I had the flu. Now, I'm not making excuses here, folks. This is what I recall, honestly. <laughs> but the school turned around to me and said afterwards, they would never take a student from my college again because of that partnership tutor as they were disgusted by the fact that she had criticized the school over their policy that she didn't agree with how they wanted me to teach PE. So these are some of the extreme things where you have people who come in who think that they are actually the the all knowledge, all the be all and end all of stuff. And they they will have no problems with telling a school what to do where they have absolutely no authority. Really, they should just be coming in to give um, feedback and support to the student teacher. You know. So you believe that the your placement supervisor overstepped her her boundaries or stepped outside of her oh big time authority big time because okay. now I passed the placement and I enjoyed the school and and, and 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 that was good and I got on to my third year but I went and I went to the head of education and I said it to her um, nice woman Tracy I'm trying to remember her name but anyway but. Again, and you'll know this within even education in Ireland, you know, it makes no real difference um, if you make complaints or even if you're just sitting down with somebody and saying, look, I'm sharing my concern because it wasn't acceptable, it wasn't professional. So the response that was given to me was, she's near retirement, just leave it. And she's been doing the job so long that like, they're not going to challenge her. Do you think you were the first person to have made a complaint, a formal complaint? about her oh no but like I suppose you, well, the, the, the teaching practice ima- experience is very subjective though from the assessors or the supervisors point of view so I think it would work better if everyone who went out and teaching practice to assess a student teacher had a, a proper rubric in front of them and even though it might be a box ticking exercises at least they'd all be ticking the same box they'd be looking for the mm-hmm. same things they'd have the look they'd have the same standards they'd set the same standards instead of assessing you on their own personal preference which is completely subjective yeah that i i agree with you they're there to support you they're there to give advice they're there to constructively criticize they're there to tick a box but they're not there to give their personal opinion on how the school should be doing it and to the school as well that is more of the a job for the inspectorate anyway yeah and over there the 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 inspector offset is offset is a different type of body to here and our inspectors here are nothing to be afraid of take what they say but also remember that what happens in one school doesn't happen in another and what one inspector thinks another inspector doesn't think the same similar to your training. teaching practice supervisors yeah they have different opinions yeah part of their assessment might be sub, uh, their subjective opinion yeah you know. So we've, we've dealt, or rather we've uh, talked a lot about the negative experiences, but there must be a success story or a, a, a big positive that you took from your three years in your teacher training. Can you recall one? Yeah. 
Um, where do I start? Um, the one I suppose from the the teacher training side of things in the three years, um, the different styles of schools and um, the different types of staff and the different types of resources and what, what do you mean by different opportunities? Um, so Coach, school culture. Or just the vibe you get from a staff room? Uh, a mixture. So in the first school um, that I was in, the staff were nice and they were supportive. Um, and But it was an eccentrically kind of run school. If, uh, um, then the second school I was in, the it was more kind of a bit more working class. Um, I didn't get the same kind of good vibe as the first school, um, but then I didn't get an opportunity to do my block. And the third school was an infant school. The staff were lovely. I was actually in a job share situation where the two teachers uh, did uh, did a job share. So I worked with two teachers in my second year of practice with the infants. So they do two and a half days of teaching a week, but they were actually in school for three days each a week. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and you know it was the, the, the practical side the stuff that I suppose that I grew up with where I would sit there read the book very little practical stuff that we were given concrete materials that kind of thing in primary school and in secondary whereas when I was there they did they had their books they had their copies or their book um, but they liked to use a lot of concrete materials to teach the kids to get the point across, to make it interesting, to make it interactive, to, for them to collaboratively learn, uh, paired work. Um, but it was a lot of stress, a lot of work on for the teacher because they were all, always had to be prepared. It was always bang, bang, bang. Um, lessons that st- stood out. I can't really think of any specific lessons but I, I I think one of the things that I came away with uh, was that I my I really really enjoyed working with infant kids it took a lot of work and a lot of preparation but I found it more enjoyable whereas with the older kids uh, there isn't as much preparation because there's an expectation of them to be at a higher level of reading ability writing ability um, and so as they get older you know you're kind of not you don't have as much to prepare in the sense of concrete materials but you do have your differentiation obviously but you're dealing kind of more with um discipline so you know um but if the school has a good policy in place there's good discipline there there's good uh, you know if the kids understand consequences etc etc um you know that's yeah it'll it'll work um I'm trying to think my third year teaching practice was ah yes it was in a catholic school now i remember and uh i didn't want it's a funny one the, they call what we in ireland we call uh, paid schools private schools and we call um uh, non-paid schools state or public schools over there they call the public schools private and the state schools are our public and 
they also have their religious schools, which will be in the minority compared to here, where you have over 90% of Catholic schools in this country. Are the religious schools fee-paying schools? They're not, but there would be, I suppose, a bit like here with where you've got, you know, um, Belvedere College, you know. So you'll have a mixture. But apparently, the a lot of people like or want to send their children to the religious schools, not for the religious aspect over there, but because the discipline is better. Um, and so you will have a mixture of Catholic and non-Catholic in Catholic schools. In my last teaching practice, there was a um, there was a reception teacher working there who was Church of England, and they had no issues with employing her as long as she was willing to do the Catholic certificate in religious education over in England. She did it, and they said grant. So she was employed. So they, so they that. But this particular school was was a little bit more liberal, and that always comes from management. If management are organised, if management are liberal, if management are open minded, if management will pull up their sleeves, everybody else will follow suit. As as we always say through life, and our parents always said to us, lead by example. You know, I didn't initially want to be in a Catholic school. I thought it would be very restrictive. I thought it would be very religious. I thought because it's in the minority in a non-Catholic country, uh, it, would, it, it, wasn't what I, it wasn't what I wanted. But when I worked there, um, the staff were great. It wasn't typically religious. Um, uh, when they did do, when, it happened to, when I was there, they had their, um, I don't know what you call it, their all religion week, where they basically did teach the children in the school about all other religions and how they interconnect, etc. Is it Catholic schools week? Um, I mean, it's similar to what we have here. No, because that would focus on Catholic, the Catholic religion. Okay. This was about everything. All religions. But that would be the only time in the whole year they'd actually learn about it. So there was never a time where they interlinked between Catholicism and other religions. Also in England, which is different to here, um, it's the Alive O programme, which is written and is... Um, done in the Republic of Ireland and in Scotland, right? But in England and Wales, they have a different setup. They, ha- they have what are called, without going off too much in the tangent, they have what are called local education authorities. So local education authorities are like councils. The government gives them money, they give it out, the schools decide how to spend it. Each education authority or maybe county has their own religious syllabus. So you'll be taught about religion in college over there, but you're not taught about a specific religion. So when I went into schools, depending on the education authority they were in, would depend on the education syllabus. Some were specifically written for a school, some were generally written, some were given to them by a council. So no school you went into would have the same religious program. Um, so you, it was always something that you always had to read up on while you were there because you would at some point during your block have to teach a religious a religion class so it was very different um the kids were nice um they were a lot of the, again a lot of the schools over there are mixed uh, compared to here um boys and girls um they were generally quite well resourced. They were supportive. If you you know that they, yeah, they, they, had, they had your back. Uh, yeah, if and they, for example, this particular school uh, was good that way. Yeah, they they you know they they had the students back. There was another teacher 
she was doing a postgrad and she was from the college I was in and she was on teaching practice there as well and she enjoyed it and they were also it was only one year group for every year group as well there was a, sorry there was only one cl- a physical class for every year group so it was a small room as well you know okay. um, so just I suppose to wrap up our chat about your teacher training uh, my final question on this topic would be if you could change uh, something about your teacher training course what would you change and why one thing that always always sticks out in my head is and I know it can be logistically difficult. Um, when you were on your observation, um, which was uh, once a week for 10 weeks before you did your block, it was always the same day. So when you went in, you saw the same routine, the same subjects, even though the topics might be different. And you know, after a couple of weeks, you're sitting down in the back of the room and you're observing, but you've seen it all before and you start to fall asleep. So. It would have been helpful to maybe have five weeks of one day and five weeks of another day because that's the simplest way to overcome the logistical nightmare that is the the, the observation days and fitting them into um, a college timetable as well of, of lectures. Um, because if you're seeing the same thing again and again and again, when you start your block, you're not 100% prepared. Now, you're never going to be 100% prepared and you do learn... And you are land, learning on your feet. Um, but the same thing doesn't uh, teach you anything new. You know, um, Repetition sometimes works, but doesn't always work. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? Do you think there were any lectures that you could have done without? Or rather, do you think there were any lectures that you feel you could have done with? that they didn't offer? Uh, in the three years of my course, we got three hours of drama. We could have done more because they, you know, they're so bang, bang, bang and so ticking boxes and paperwork and making sure it's all done. You know, they could actually have taught us more. The music was enjoyable, but... Uh, again, what always happens, and I suppose it's ha- and, I, and, I, and it happens here as well, is you always end up back to the CD player because unless you're musically talented, you're not going. They're not. They're not going to be wonderful. Um, English, maths, and science. Um, they taught us well in college. They taught us a lot of skills. Sometimes myself and friends who have who I have, and even some that are Irish and that are back here in Ireland teaching. Um, they would say that. They think that the teachers over there were a lot better trained than the teachers here, but but it, um, what they're doing in this country is they're trying to teach the students how they do it in England. Um, it does. It's not a, It's not always transferable into the classroom here. Um, but then that comes down to resources and time. And, you know, even though a job is a vocation, the job is a vocation, but the job is also an occupation. Like, you know, it's not fair on teachers over there to be working 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week because a lot of it's paperwork and preparation. That's not a job and they're not getting paid for it. And that's slowly creeping in here. Um, but it prepared me. It gave me the foundation 
there are some teachers who are more naturally talented. There are some teachers who uh, take a little while to get there. Um, I was a mixture of both. Um, and I've learned more the more I've been in the profession and the more I've practiced um, than I think I did at college because again, college is trying to fit in X amount within a certain amount of time. But when you're in the full-time job, you're uh, doing it every day. You're not just doing it in blocks, you know. Learning on your feet. Yeah, well, learning on your feet is how you go, you know, learning on your feet is how you, how you learn, how you improve. Okay, so we'll wrap up that section of this uh, interview and we'll move a bit on to what you're doing now. So you had spent three years as a homeschool community liaison in your current school. Uh, you finished that in June of last year. So do you want to tell me a bit about the time you spent as a HSCL? Yeah, so um, as you know, there isn't a lot of professional development uh, within the, prof the profession. Now, I've come into the profession in Ireland uh, initially as a special education teacher. I've re the restricted recognition. I am the... Uh, one of those who, because of the way Irish was taught when I was younger, I, um, I don't get the language, but I get some of it, and I, but I'm a qualified teacher, and I could teach in a classroom, and if I did my basic, if I did, if I researched my Irish, uh, you know, I'd I'd be fine with maybe the younger crowd, but unfortunately that's not the case. So you work with what you have. So what's the positives? I can work in special education, I can work in support, and because and if homeschool is available, you can do that. So I had been working in my present school for the guts of about seven years permanent. An opportunity arose. I decided after some research and asking questions, you know what, in for a pound, in for a penny, nothing gained, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I applied for the job. I got the job as homeschool community liaison in my school. Um, you can do it anything from one to two to, five, to four, but a maximum of five years, a bit like if you took a career break. Um, I only did it for three years uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I know the, basically the job is as it sounds, homeschool community liaison, you don't teach. You liaison between the school and community, the school and staff in school and, 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 and as many parents or as the case may be guardians, grandparents, uh, whoever. Uh, the community can be anything from community centres to therapists to agencies to department of this, department of that. It's a great opportunity. I'll always encourage anybody who's in uh, teaching, don't be afraid to leave mainstream if that's all you've ever done. Try support, try special education, um, try homeschool if the opportunity arises. Um, it looks great in the CV, builds your confidence, uh, it teaches you new skills, it gives you new opportunities, it gives, uh, you, you, you might decide to go a different career path down the line, you might decide to take a career break and uh, decide to uh, improve yourself in a different way and there's 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 many opportunities available to you if you 
look for them and don't fall into a rut. Homeschool community liaison, uh, I was I was I, I got a lot of opportunity to train in things like suicide prevention. Um, for one, um, I uh, made links with families, um, and you know sometimes you're at, you're asked by parents um, who might be having housing issues to write letters of support. Uh, you might have to go out and visit a family and then discover that there's other issues. You're not a, a wizard. You're not waving a magic wand. You're facilitating, you're supporting. Um, some will listen, some will work alongside you. Some will just tell you what you want to hear. Some will invite you in, some won't talk to you. Some, but it's very much, but sometimes that can be an Irish cultural thing as well that, you know, you don't tell a stranger your problems, you talk to your talk to your neighbor you talk to your family member around a cup of tea but it's it's a job where you listen and there's a difference between listening actively listening and um you know listening so somebody who's actively listening is not only hearing what you're saying but is hearing what you're not saying but a person who's listening to you is giving you sometimes giving you advice and it might be what they would do but it might not work out for you so it's uh, it's also a support network, homeschool community liaison. Uh, some schools who have it, staff are very supportive. Some schools, staff are not always very supportive because they may not know anything about it. Um, the job, the way it was set up was, uh, and, you, and I know with some of the, my ex-colleagues, they always like to refer to uh, the person who was involved in setting it up, um, his name I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I had a, a very unusual name. Um, but she was a lady. She, by the sounds of it, had her heart in the right place. She was a real go-getter. Um, she um, wanted those who were uh, in bad situations, bad upbringing, uh, Education was important. Maybe it wasn't very good. Maybe it was the area. Um, maybe it was it was the area was full of drugs and employment. Maybe it was that during the time of when the church had more of a say and had more of a control, and you know, there the, the was it was more negative. Um, this per this this woman, she wanted to try and make help get changes the changes are, are, have occurred are occurring um not always consistent sometimes consistent um the parents don't always get involved in school life but though when you have a homeschool community liaison um, it is that middle person between the, the, the principal slash school and the parents or guardians that try to encourage them to come in, uh, to, share, to tell them we do have an open door policy, tell them come in and talk to us. Um, you know, teachers are all right with listening to what parents have to say, but at the end of the day, the teacher is the one that's educated in the profession. The teacher is the one that is trained. They're not there to have people come in and tell them, well, 
what they think they should be doing with their little Johnny. There's 20, 30 little Johnnies in the room. You can't have a lesson plan for every 20 or 30 Johnnies. So, you know, or Mary's or whoever. And sometimes the principal in some schools don't, don't, you know, they don't always have the time. They might feel the pressures of the job, whether they're new or old. They might not want to be involved with parents, um, you know, but the homeschool community liaison is somebody, I suppose, to try to, as much as possible, be that middle person, be that one, that the facilitator. Um, the word I'm trying to think of, um, not negotiator. The middleman. The middleman. There's another word. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing me. I'm losing <laughs> me words here. Um, but we know what you mean. You just don't have the word for it. It'll come out in a moment. Jesus. Um, You'll remember it in the middle of the next question, probably. The word is... Yeah, and I can think of the word, and they do the course in Maynooth. Um, It's... um, Yeah, I'll think of it again. Ah. Well, let me just ask you, um, you mentioned there that sometimes the parents didn't always get involved with some of your initiatives. Would that have been the most frustrating part of the job or was there something else that, that you might have found frustrating about the job? Um, yeah, you always knew that. Well, I suppose in essence, what the thing about the job was that for, for you to get the parents involved more in school life, they have to be available. So it has been noted that a lot more parents have gone out there and gotten jobs. So they're not going to be available. But for those that were at home and were available and just weren't coming in and you were offering them, you know, the opportunity to bring the kids along as well to something, whether it was, a, I don't know, go on a walking tour, come in for a coffee morning, bring the kids with you, get involved in... A parents group of some description but bring the children with you if you have children and you weren't getting charged for it um that was kind of frustrating frustrating things sometimes was the ones that you wanted to come in wouldn't and the ones that you didn't want necessarily to come in but you weren't going to close your doors to anybody because i mean they have their children in the school you want them to be there you want to build want a community them, you want to build a community you want to build a rapport um and the ones that you didn't necessarily want that you didn't see as a target they'd be the ones that would come in and get involved. I had a lot of great ideas at the very beginning and as the three years went on, those, those ideas didn't always become, become to fruition. And it was always trying to keep it fresh and think and uh, think of other ways. But it was, it was a struggle. Um, some of my co- I would always talk to my colleagues in other schools because the job is very much a solo job in one sense. You know? So you had your peers, you had, your, you had the teachers who were homeschools in other schools. And some of them were run off their feet, some of them weren't, some of them, you know, um, had great support, some of them didn't. We all had, but we'd all, we'd all have similar issues, similar good results, bad results. We'd all be there to bounce off each other, uh, ideas, improve on ideas, um, work with the same kind of idea. Um, maybe even try and, and, and collaborate as well and not always maybe just go out on, a, on our own and link with other schools. Um, and I understand that because of the Northeast Inner City Coal, uh, Coalition, there's a lot more of that going on um, than there was. So because 
as many of you may know, uh, a number of years ago over the shootings down around Sheriff Street, the different drug gangs fighting with each other, how much it's caused a lot of issues within the inner city. Um, there seems to be, as slow as it can be, but, you know, step by step, like anything, um, you know, there, there's, there's improvements. There's seen improvements um, occurring. Um, adjudicator, I think, is the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> I knew it would come to me. Yeah. You know. Let me ask you this about the, the HSCL role. Would you go back to it again? After doing three years, and now you're back into uh, learning sport and resource, do you, th- do you see yourself going back into it in the future with, a, with a, the benefit of your experience and the benefit of having reflected on that experience? Do you think you could do it again? Or would you want to do it again? Um... Uh, to be honest, um, not in the school I work in, um, but maybe in another school, yes. So what, what do you think uh, would be the most pressing issue for urban DESH schools uh, at the moment? Um, DESH, is, DESH is a funny one. Um, I'm not going to say I'm an expert in it, but I know that ch- schools are categorised as DESH 1 and DESH 2 and that there's a differences in the resources, the size of classes and the staff that are provided. Um, I feel at the end of the day, it's not, dis- it's not discrimination per se, but I think that DESH in a sense, I don't think should exist as such. It should be that the government is providing the resources better. They're crying out for small class classes, smaller classes, pupil ratio, do it across the board. You can't have equal opportunity in education if some people are more equal than others, as the as the expression goes. You know, so you know, if you have, for example, a school in an area that's not desh, and all the other schools in the area are um and they're all getting extra resources but you have the same cohort as children as the rest of the area if you have a school that feeds another school children and that school is a dash one and the school that the children are fed to is a dash two the school who's dash two are going to do their damned hardest and will do their damned hardest to support those children and do the best they can but they have come to a different resourced school compared to the other one. They have fewer resources. You know. And the, what, you're, what you're saying there is, for example, you might have a school that has the boys up until first class and then they go into a, a senior boys school from second to sixth. But although they have the same, demogra- the, the same demographic, they have fewer resources because they're categorised differently in terms of DESH. One could be DESH 1 and the school they're fed into is DESH 2. Yeah, and the demographic hasn't changed. Exactly. So it's really, uh, it's a bureaucracy bureaucracy issue. Yeah. Like, one of the things, and again, linking it in with homeschool is that if you come from the inner city, and I'm not saying that people who live in the inner city are all poor. They're not all poor, but it just happens they live there, whether it's by choice, whether it's upbringing, whatever. But... The way they used to, the way they used to decide on a desh school was how many children in your school had a medical card. Now it's all about air code, postcode. So you know now it is actually saying that well if you if if your if your kids come from a certain area, they are poor, or they are disadvantaged is the word because that's what desh is disadvantaged, not poor. But what does disadvantage mean? Poor 
dyslexic, dyscalculia, uh, emotional behaviour, um, drugs, unemployment, neglect, abuse. Like, what exactly are they saying? Because, you know, not all children who come to school are fit into those categories. It just happens that the school that they're in is that school. But we have, you know, in, in some desk schools, the children don't even come with it, the, within the, the area. They come from outside of the area. They come because maybe the school has a good reputation of education, a good reputation of support. Maybe they do have smaller classes. Maybe the children couldn't get into a local school. Maybe the father went to that school or the, you know, and that's where they wanted to send their son and they're willing to drive twice as long to get to it than the local school, you know. So it's not all black and white then? It's not, no. I mean, I've walked into some homes where they've got, they, no, they could all, it, it could all be living off every paycheck. It could be you know, higher purchase, I don't know, but you don't go in and judge, you don't go in and discriminate. As long as they have a roof over the head, there's hopefully food in the cupboard, the place looks clean and they're happy enough. You know, we're doing the rest, we're educators, we're not there to judge, but we're there to facilitate, we're there to support as best we can, because education has changed. But there's some people out there and they would be in what would be considered a desh area, a desh school, and you know, they're comfortable. They're grand, they're doing well, they're good parents, they're supporting their kids, they're maybe trying educating themselves. There's some parents out there who aren't nice, they aren't well educated, that don't care. And then there's some that are caught in a rut where they are nice, they might be well educated, they don't know what to do, but they're happy for the support, you know, and they respect it and they'll be open and so you get a you get a variety of different people. It's I'm not saying take the dash away because like you take something away after it started and it and it works or appears to work, you have to have something to replace it, or you do it right across the board, you know. Mm. So as you, as I said earlier, you know some are equal, some are more equal than others. Um, how you want to take that's up to yourself. It's there. Um, and uh, they work, it works well. Now you could be in a school where um, it's not DESH. Um, you do have a cohort that would fall into that ca- category, if you want me to say that. And some, pe- some children fall through the net. And that's where it becomes very pressurized for teachers and for management and for the principal. And it can be, and an, an because they've got so much paperwork to do, preparation, bureaucracy, longer hours, prioritizing, money restraints, and also looking at the other thing when you were, you were asked about, you know, DESH, we have the NEP psychologists. So they give us two, they give each school two assessments a year. Is that regardless of school size? I think so. I think, I think. I think it is. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on okay. that. I do, I'm not sure, but I know that from, you know, some of the schools that I've worked with, it's two. And sometimes they might make an exception to the rule because, say, for example, one of the schools mightn't have any uh, psychological assessments to present, you know, a children to present for psychological assessments. Sorry. So they might decide to be flexible and give it to another school. Yeah. Um, but again, 
you know, some are more equal than others. If you have a school that has a lot of money in it, and it might, and it's a state school because maybe they do a lot of fundraising, maybe because they're a bigger school, they might be able to afford to bring in private assessors, um, even therapists. You obviously, I mean, obviously, you can't employ a therapist, a psychologist, um, a nurse to specific to a specific school. But it can be a case that, like in the case of myself and another colleague of mine who did homeschool, we were shared between schools and we just had to organise ourselves with a timetable and have that agreed with the principal. And so if you have a catchment area of X amount of schools with nurses, psychologists, therapists who come in, who work with the children that need that extra support, because we are educators as teachers. We are not psychologists, we are not nurses, we are not therapists, but the job is constantly changing in, 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 in its, not by definition, it's changing in what's expected, in what uh, people um, are assuming we will do. But, you know, you can, like I, I uh, did a year's course, uh, about nine months part-time in um, counselling and psychotherapy. And one of the things that we that was learned from that is uh, you can't do, you, you, can't, you can't give therapy to somebody if you aren't trained to do it because you need to go and get your supervision from another therapist if you are uh, presented with a person who you're not qualified to help and it could be something that hits you personally it could be damning it could be threatening it could be uh, so in education we are there to educate the children we're not there to do all the rest but unfortunately it falls on us sometimes too, or we have to resource it from somewhere. But when you resource something from somewhere, it has to be paid. Where does the money come from? So some schools that are more well off or have bigger numbers or parental support, they can sometimes find that through fundraising because it doesn't always come from the money that the government gives. Or you have to apply for maybe for special grants. Or in the case of DESH, sometimes it comes out of the DESH, the DESH money. Or it comes out sometimes of um, other funding such as school completion and then you have waiting lists then sometimes uh, NEP psychologist isn't available because they might be overworked and so you go on to an overflow list and get, get a psychologist from that sometimes you have to apply for private therapists music therapists, art therapists, speech therapists you know, this is th this is stuff that should be on site. These are people who probably want to work full time, but they probably can't get jobs. Um, in Ireland, there is no proper regulation when it comes to counselling and psychotherapy. So anybody could become one and put a piece of paper up on the wall, sit in a room and talk to the person, listen to them. But you're not there to you're not there to to give them advice. You're there to listen to them. So there are opportunities out there for full-time employment but they need to be created they need there needs to be money invested in the correct areas allow teachers to teach 
And then for those who need extra support, employ the professionals who are there or who could be there and let everybody work in tandem. So just to focus on the job of teaching in general, uh, how do you think teachers can be support can be better supported professionally? And I'm not talking about uh, teachers in desk schools I'm teaching. I'm talking about uh, teachers in all schools. What, what can be done to better support teachers professionally? Um, a variety of things. I think annually, if not ter- termly, professional development. At whose expense? The government. You know, uh, we pay to go to college, to train to become a teacher. Yes, they're paying us to... Um, to do the job. To do the job. You can't send a principal and a deputy off to be trained for a day or two on a new initiative or a new curriculum or a new policy or a new whatever and then filter it back to the staff. That is the trainer. That That's... The trainer training somebody to train somebody to train somebody and eventually it dilutes, you know. Yeah. And also, uh, so that's one thing. We should have a lee, you know, because in England they will have what they call inset days. They get, I think they get um, termly training days of some description, professional development. Yes, we have these courses online, but sometimes it loses its human element when you do an online course. Not everyone is suited to online learning anyway. I know I am not I yeah. I tried it once, it wasn't for me. Exactly, and, and I agree with you. Um, sometimes you learn more from sitting in a room, discussing it with other people, because questions come up that you might not think of while you're doing an online course. Uh, somebody says something that sparks a thought in your head. Um, you don't have that instantaneous back and forth when you're when you're online, when you when you might have to type something into, into a forum or respond to someone's suggestion. Yeah, you'll have time to think about it and reflect on what has been said, but sometimes the back and forth can be more valuable. Yeah, that's I agree. It's more of an invigorating yeah. conversation as well. You're more yeah. into it. Yeah. I don't think that... And I know, yes, some people might argue with this. Okay, you pay your €99, Euro, you do your 20 hours, and you get your three days off in the year called your EPVs. Grant, fine. But sometimes people do the same course again and again and again. So they're just doing it for the EPVs. Not for the professional they're development. Not, not for the professional development, but there are some who are. I like to be challenged. I want to do more. I want to get improve myself. Um, I prefer now to do the um, face-to-face courses, but as probably a lot of you know, there's very they're, they're getting fewer and fewer and fewer. Um, I believe that... The whole concept of SNAs is sort of redundant in a sense. Um, some may agree or disagree. I'm not saying make them unemployed. But what I'm saying is that each classroom in the country should have a classroom assistant. Somebody who is there to support the teacher as well as the children. Right To employ somebody specifically for... Uh, you know, a child or children who have uh, special special needs of some description, and if there isn't any, then there's no class, then there's no SNA. So the teachers left without, the schools left without, or you get a child in uh, midway through a year, and they're in a class, and there's no assistant, and that child is running amok. Every classroom in the country should have a classroom descri- a classroom assistance of some description. 
I'm not saying that that classroom assistant should turn into a teaching assistant and have a certain minimal teaching qualification or education qualification as they do in England, that to save on money across the board, like getting substitutes in, then that classroom assistant, TA, whatever, becomes the teacher. But that they are there in support of the teacher and they are there to support the children. And I suppose a certain amount of flexibility that if the classroom assistant is in there and there is one or two children in that room that need specific support and help, that you know they know what to do. You know they they also maybe are sent off for professional development training as well in those specific areas. So that's two things. Another support to teachers in schools is um, that there are other therapists, there are counsellors, there are psychologists in the school, as I said, so that it doesn't always fall on the teachers. I, I also think that parent-teacher meetings shouldn't be done in November. I agree. I, do, I think they should wait till January, February. That's about halfway through the year at that stage. You know, um, I've done both myself. My first school, uh, the parent-teacher meeting <coughs> took place in November. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think two and a half months is sufficient time to get to know the child, to measure any sort of progress. Hmm. You barely know them at that stage. Whereas in my current school, we have the parent-teacher meetings in January. And that's fantastic because you have four months to get to know them, to know how they're getting on, to know their abilities, to know how they've progressed. And you've the, the information you give to the parents during the meeting is a lot more valuable. Mm, there's agree. a lot more to say. Yeah, I agree. I do think that, and I know it's changing in um, teach trainings college, colleges here in Ireland where the students are given the opportunity to spend time in schools to learn about special education in special classes and in uh, support roles, which is good. I also think sometimes that that opportunity should also be given to class teachers as well to understand what the job is about, to professionally develop themselves, that they might want to change um, for a year or two or a couple of years in, their, in the middle of their career, um, to give them a break, to give them a fresh perspective, to give them opportunity to work with smaller groups, to learn more about collaborative learning, they go back into the classroom, they can implement it more. Um, to develop their skills again in concrete materials, practical materials. To recognise, because you're so busy, um, you know, children who potentially could have special needs and you might not recognise it. Uh, work with those types of special needs as well. Um, to understand that the support teacher is there to support not to make the job easier for you as the mainstream teacher um, because as you know or some of you may know um, the system has changed that well it still does fall on you as the mainstream teacher that you know through a continuum of support that you have to show that you have tried to support that child before passing it on to the support teacher um, it can't just be automatically done. But again, it, it's all fallen down to experience, knowledge, uh, communication, uh, training. And again, coming back to that statement of equal opportunity in education, we need to all 
in all schools, regardless of the size of them, have that consistency, have that continuity. I also believe as part of supporting teachers, I would be an advocate of, not that well, I don't go out campaigning, but I would certainly say it out loud, that there's no harm in changing schools every five years. Somebody else once said to me every seven years, maybe do a job swap. You'll realize that you're not falling into a rut. You're willing to be open-minded. You're willing to try new things. You're willing to find out how staff and other schools do things. Seeing what works in one place doesn't necessarily work in another. Seeing what resources are being used, how they're being used again because they're working. Uh, coming back with new skills, applying them, introducing new things, new, new op- things to the staff. For example, like restart to practice in some schools it works, in other schools it doesn't. It all depends on who supports it. Um, in essence, it's a very good program, but it has to be consistent. Um, it does it can take up time, but it has to be, like I said earlier about a lot of things, it has to be consistent and it has to be, there has to be continuity. People need to buy into it, I suppose, the staff and mo- most importantly, uh, the students, because it's for them, the restorative practice. And if they don't buy into it or see any value in it, they're not very likely to take part. Yeah, and, and we're moulding children's lives, we're giving them opportunity, we're giving them support. So children will generally do as they are told or they will follow suit if they feel that the example, that those introducing it to them are enthusiastic about it, are following through with it, and they will also see that, and they will. And you know, oh yeah, you've always got your exception to the rule. You're never going to get 100% perfection in behaviour and education and attendance, but you know, you try your best, but if you're all working off the same hymn sheet, if you're all communicating, you know, that that's some of the job done. Um, you know, because you, ha- you have to be able to support yourself, yourselves, sorry. You have to be able to support yourselves as well, even if the system isn't always supporting you. You know, not to become too cynical. <laughs> um, but definitely one great way of support, of, of support within a school is, um, change jobs go and work with other people you know you do that in a you do that in the private sector you change jobs because you would get to a point where there is no further challenge further challenge there is no promotion like that is one of the issues I suppose in schools is that there is still that moratorium on middle management unless they absolutely need the middle management st- uh, members of staff um, and they will be employed and it, I think if I'm right in saying this it used to be based around seniority and it's not anymore it's based on your interview now mm. um, so unfortunately you know um, I know a story of somebody who had seven years of teaching experience in the school and didn't get it over somebody who had two years of teaching experience in the school it can be a bit of a, a pain but it's just the way the system is the person probably did uh, perform well at the interview and as long as then they do come up with the goods when they are doing the job that they didn't just get lucky yeah. saying to the interviews what they wanted to hear because we can all do that but when it comes to it you have to still show that you can do the job and you will do the job and you know there's no like there's no point in doing it half arsed you know if you're going to do it do it and you'll have your good days and your bad days and we'll moan, sometimes we'll complain, but 
you know, I've learned, you know, over the past many years and uh, that you've got to work with what you have as well because nothing changes overnight. You, you de- you're dealing with people in other, prof- in other in departments, in sections, in management, whatever, who don't have, who don't have enough experience, who don't know what you're talking about, who aren't interested, who are just looking at paperwork, who are just looking at statistics, who are just looking at the money. You can't be, you can't flog a dead ho- a dead horse, you know, and make and make it and make it walk. Yeah. Um, so you've got you adapt, adapt within the system, you know, um, as best you can. So let's look to next year. What would be your priority for yourself as a teacher for the next year? Um, I, like, as in the next academic year. The next calendar year or academic year, whatever suits you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, for the purposes of this question. Continue with what I'm doing. I enjoy teaching. I'm enjoying back, being back doing it. I'm shared between two schools. Uh, it was a nice way to kind of um, wean myself back into teaching again. Um, I would like to go and study uh, part-time, um, but I need to kind of get off my backside and look into it again and apply for it, which is the uh, special education diploma in either Pats or somewhere down in Black Rock or Dunleary, uh, but Pats would be closer to where I'd be. And you'd work part-time and support part-time studying um and again you're not going to get extra money for it um you know when you qualify with the diploma um you're not necessarily going to walk into another job with it but it's professional development it's choice that i've made for myself it's giving me maybe some new ideas fresh approaches up-to-date information maybe some of it be useless and i do it already and i know it but it's not me falling into a rut um, and it's something that I have been thinking about doing next year other than buying a house this year, fingers crossed. <laughs> I know, I hear you all laughing out there because <laughs> um, I am as well at times. Um, but yeah, continue what I'm doing and study again. Uh, I did that course there in counselling and psychotherapy. Um, did that give you the study bug? It did a little bit again, yeah. Um, I wasn't intending on wanting to change profession. Uh, and there's been other things that I would have liked to have done. I'd love, uh, but I suppose, and some of you out there are in that situation where you can't really give up your study, your, your, your job to study again, but maybe part-time might be an option depending on your personal circumstances. Uh, I'd like to do speech and language, but it's a full time course. It's, I think it's a four so, year degree. Yeah, so I'd ha- you'd ha- you know you'd have to be doing that from the age of eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, um, when you haven't got a lot of commitments, when you haven't had a full time job and seen oh this is what I you know uh, I've, yeah. got, I've got money or you haven't got a mortgage or it's a fu- it is a full time commitment. You'd have to give up your job and study yeah. full time for four years. So the only real way of doing that would either be have a lot of money or get a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you marry, if you have a rich partner or you're lucky enough to win the lottery, um, definitely take a career break and go back and study again <laughs> um, because you have nothing to lose. <laughs> Andy, what's the best thing about being a teacher? Uh, 
Oh, I can hear you all out there. I know it's just her thinking, you just saying the holidays. But you know what? I'm single. So if there's anybody out there also who's single, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> uh, otherwise, the holidays are grand, but they're holidays from the kids and from the job and a way to recharge and to uh, refocus. But they are boring as hell. But the great thing about the job is that Every day is a learning curve. Every day you learn something new. Every day uh, is different um, in one sense or, or another. Every day is what you make of it. If you go in there and you're in the rut, you're not pushing yourself. You're not challenging yourself. Every day is a new opportunity. The past is the past you can't change. The future is yet to come. You can't predict it. It's today. Each day as you go is the day that you make that difference to your life, to the children's lives. You work as best you can with the system. Um, you. The great thing with the internet is, you know, you can research so much. Uh, there's so many other people out there in the profession that are in the same situation as you, or maybe are more professionally trained or more experienced, but you bounce off them, bounce off each other, uh, bounce off the kids, you know, but at the same time, you know, keep that professionalism, keep that discipline, keep those consequences, uh, but go in with a smile as best you can. Look, good days, bad days. Um, the, the, the other great things about, about teaching, um, it's never boring. Maybe some of the things I've said are all cliche. Maybe they're exactly what other people are thinking and experiencing. But they're true for you. Uh, they're true for me, yeah. Everybody will think will, will have a different, maybe, uh, opinion. They, they, might, they might be, uh, they're, they're probably in the profession for different reasons. They might have different types of skills. I think a lot of people can prob probably agree with what you've said there. Um, every day is different. You'll learn something new every day. And what you were saying there as well was that some other teachers might have something different but for you it's about something different variety learning something new i probably say the same myself i like going in even though i have a, a timetable that is the same every week i like to go in knowing that those 27 children are going to have a, new, a, a different day i'll have a different day we'll bounce off each other we'll have a bit of fun we'll mm. do a bit of hard work but every day it is different and as you said you can't get bored in teaching. No, you make the opportunity yourself. You could very easily go in, as you said about a timetable being the same every week. Well, you could very easily go in and you have and you have this week a maths topic on Monday and it's uh, for history, and you decide you know your way of doing history maybe is blocks week a week of this topic another the next week could do a different topic, so it keeps you going if you've researched what you're going to do in advance. Could be on Vikings this week. It could be on the Egyptians next week, right? Uh, you look up the internet for ideas. Your artwork might be great, it might be terrible, but it's just the idea. It's just the challenge that you give yourself, the challenge that ch the children give you. Sometimes your displays are going to be good, sometimes your displays may not be. Or you could just go in on the Monday morning and you could open the book and say, right, now kids, we're going to learn about the Vikings. What do you know? And a few hands go up and you say, that's great. Now let's have a read of them. Let's read the question or answer the questions and then move on from that when the hour is over. And what has anybody achieved? Total and utter boredom. So you make it what you make it your own. 
there mm-hmm. is the, and that's the great and that's the one thing I will say about the Irish education system in this country that from what I can see comparing it to where I trained in England um, and the training was good over there but it was when you went into the classroom over there it was all regimental it was all there was an expectation here there is obviously an expectation but there is a huge amount of flexibility use it you know don't waste it thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today you're welcome i think we all learned a lot my verbal diarrhea is now put is now made everybody laugh and fall asleep (laughs) (laughs) well what you said was very informative and educational so thank you a sincere thanks goes to andy for sharing his thoughts and experiences on education desh and the homeschool community liaison job You can follow Matters Educational on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can access the podcast through a number of platforms including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn and from the Podbean website. If you would like to feature on the podcast to talk about something in education that interests you, please get in contact by sending an email to mattereducationalireland at gmail.com. You can read my blog and delve deeper into my thoughts on education by visiting www.mattereducational.ie. And if you get a chance, please rate the podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.